Welcome to the Magic Potion Podcast, where a sprinkle and a dash can enhance your class. Listen to learn about tools, techniques, and stories from educators on ways to improve your lessons, create a positive culture, and much more. I'm your host, Kevin Reinemann, and now it's time to make it happen. Welcome to Episode 20, Revolutionizing PD with Rich Chiz and the 4 O'Clock Faculty. Please welcome my special guest, Rich Chiz. Rich, could you let the audience know who you are and your background in education, please? Absolutely. My name is Rich Chiz. I'm an educator in New Jersey, uh, currently an elementary principal at a pre-K through five school. I do have experience uh, teaching fifth grade math and science, as well as basic skills math. Uh, From there, I went on to become an instructional and technology coach. And then eventually I made my way into the curriculum realm. So serving as a elementary supervisor for K to five, all subject areas, and then uh, as a director of curriculum and instruction for a few years uh, before deciding that I was missing the kids, I needed to get back into a building and eventually settled into a role as an elementary principal, which Uh, I absolutely love to do. Uh, It's the best thing in education uh, to be able to be in a building every day, uh, working with staff, seeing what students are doing, and uh, it's it's a great experience. You've kind of been all over the all over the place and had a lot of different job titles there. I uh, I love it. I I tell you, I think towards the end of my career, being an elementary principal is definitely a goal for myself too. Like I see elementary principals and they get to have so much fun with the younger kids and truly see a whole lot of learning going on while there's a passion and everything along with it too. Yeah. I think one of my favorite things to do uh, when I'm, when I'm having one of those moments where I'm, I'm stressed or, you know, something's not going right. I will walk down to our preschool classrooms uh, because they're always for the most part happy in there. And the learning that is taking place is just amazing to watch the growth um, that our preschool students make, you know, sometimes in a single day, um, but throughout the year. So uh, elementary school is the place to be. Absolutely. Oh, that's great. Um, And that reminds me of, you know, uh, I learned about you first through your book, The Four O'Clock Faculty. And then, you know, following that, I started following you on Twitter along with all the other uh, Dave Burgess authors out there. They they always seem to be very, very open to, to discussing things with anybody that's asking questions. So I'm very thankful for that. Uh, but w- one of the quotes from Four O'Clock Faculty that I bring myself to a lot and um, I actually use in a lot of my presentations now, but I make sure to give you a little plug in there at the same time, is that uh, learning is learning no matter when. It's even possible that you might learn something that you should never do. And I take a couple things away from that. I mean, first and foremost, I, I think what you were getting to in the book is if the session isn't keeping you engaged, take note of that because what's going on in there isn't working for you. So it might not work for your students as well. Um, But also for me going a little bit deeper, I I think that it's um, not just every session that we sit in for professional development, but then every encounter that we have all day, every day, every conversation with fellow teachers, every conversation with students, and even just 
you know, walking outside or, or checking out things on TV. We're always learning every second of every day. It's just a matter of we need to recognize that stuff in our environment is, is coming at us and we need to interpret that information and, you know, react and respond to it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think about the opportunities where, you know, I'll be sitting in traffic and something happens and it's a learning opportunity for me. Um, even going to the grocery store one day, I, I went to the grocery store at 6.30 a.m. and expecting to run in and out before I was off to work. And I ended up waiting in a line of 10 people at the grocery store while several uh, several employees kind of stood around and watched as the one poor cashier was overwhelmed. And uh, it was it was a great learning experience for me to kind of think about the customer service piece and, and how we're doing that in school. So I think everything is a learning opportunity. Uh, there's always ways to kind of connect it back to education. And I think that's one of my favorite things to do is, you know, find out how other people are doing things, not necessarily teachers or educators, uh, but, you know, where are those other opportunities that we can bring things back to our schools, back to our students and, and back to our teachers? And yeah, I, I agree with you. I, th- I think that customer service, you know, for those that have worked retail in the past, which I worked retail for about 10 years, you know, through college, through my first few years as a teacher, um, that's something that really sets a foundation for respect and compassion for others. You know, retail employees are not always treated the best. Um, so I definitely had that as a learning experience for myself and, and how I interact with employees when, uh, of stores and stuff when I'm out and about. But also, uh, you're reminding me of a time, a uh, previous episode, where I was speaking with somebody about how little things matter and there's always eyes around you. Sure. Um, for me, it's whenever I'm at the grocery store, I usually have my three-year-old son with me. And if I see all the shopping carts in one giant mess, I have to straighten them up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't, I can't uh, let that be a mess for somebody else who might be in a rush. And now the carts are all flying all over the place and somebody's car gets dinged. So little things to, to help others is, is something that can easily translate into the classroom, I feel. Yeah. And, and for me, I always think about um, our office interactions. So, you know, a lot of times we have students in the office, we have parents in the office, we have, you know, other visiting administrators who are in the office, uh, whether it's somebody delivering packages, whatever it may be, it's kind of the, the hub and the center of what's, you know, all the activity that's going on in the school that day. And for me, it's, it's probably the most important place to, to model those behaviors. Right. So when kids are in there and they're seeing how we're interacting with other adults, uh, seeing how we're interacting with each other, um, that modeling piece is huge. And uh, and as you said, there's always little eyes uh, looking, listening, um, seeing how you're responding. And I think they feed off of that. Um, they, they pick up on it. Um, they know when you're being genuine. Uh, they know when you are kind of modeling that empathy and that kindness. And I think that's that's a, certainly one of the most important things that we do as educators is is really get those students to be upstanding citizens, to to go out there and and really treat people uh, with kindness and, and with empathy as well. Yes, and on those same lines, make note of how loud your voice is too, because you might think that you're alone with somebody in your room, 
but you could be talking really loud and they can hear you three classrooms down. So even when they're not able to see you, they may still be able to hear you. So as educators, we're kind of on a, we're professionals 24 seven. So yeah, it's an important piece. Think think before you speak. Absolutely. (laughs) So um, your book, The Four O'Clock Faculty, where did the title Four O'Clock Faculty come from? So Four O'Clock Faculty is the name of um, our website and blog. And I say our, uh, I've partnered with uh, my former um, former colleague who was the art teacher for my students when I taught fifth grade. His name is Trevor Bryan. And uh, we, we decided that we wanted to start a website and a blog and start sharing out some of our learning and really connect with other people. And we were just trying to figure out what's what's the perfect name for this. And there's, you know, somewhere exists a, a text chain between the two of us where I think we shot down hundreds of ideas. And uh, eventually he had suggested the four o'clock faculty. And uh, the story actually comes from his father, who was a lifelong educator. And he had the opportunity to interview for his first teaching position uh, with a principal who was uh, given the task of hiring a brand new staff. Uh, so that principal was opening a brand new building. And um, Trevor's father made the mistake of asking the principal when he was interviewing what time staff members were allowed to leave uh, at the end of the day. And the response from the principal was, well, we're allowed to leave at 2.45, but we are a four o'clock faculty. Uh, with the impl- implication being that they went above and beyond and did whatever they had to do, you know, oftentimes being there well beyond 2.45 until 4 o'clock uh, in order to get the job done. And uh, that was something that kind of resonated with both of us. Uh, we felt it was kind of perfect. You know, the 4 o'clock faculty has a nice ring to it, uh, but it really does kind of get to that essence of educators who are going above and beyond to make sure that they're improving their own learning and uh, learning for their students. Um, so that's really kind of where the, the title comes from. And then, you know, from there, it was, it was about developing that, that idea of the rogue and, and revolutionizing professional development. So uh, rogue is an acronym. It stands for a relevant organized group of underground educators. And, you know, in, in thinking about the, the ideals behind the book, making sure that educators are doing everything that they can to get their own professional learning, to go out and find it, even if people are not helping them and providing professional development for them. Sometimes you do need to go rogue. You need to go underground. You need to find it wherever you can. So I think it kind of uh, melded together perfectly uh, and and really kind of captures the essence of what the book is about. That's awesome. That's uh... I couldn't agree more. Like so many of the all-star teachers, I'll say, that I see out there um, that are really exemplary at other schools, uh, they seem to be the ones that are staying there over the weekends, coming in or staying late at night, coming in on the weekends, doing work. And they also seem to wear a lot of hats. You know, they'll be the student council advisors. They'll be the uh, cheer coach or helping out with the band or drama or just always helping the students, helping facilitate whatever it is the students want to explore, want to know more about, even if they're not an expert in it as well. 
Yeah, and I think it goes back to that idea um, that we just talked about a few minutes ago of of always learning, right? So finding whatever opportunities you can, and whether that's you know sometimes you're going to be in the building for hours after students leave to make sure that you're getting everything right for the next experience you're planning for them, or sometimes it means you know you're at home and and you have five to ten minutes and you're searching searching for something online or you're on Twitter or you're connecting with other educators. Um, one of, one of the biggest pieces for me, I used to have a very long commute to school, uh, well over an hour, and um, I would connect uh, while I was in the car, and that time was meaningful for me. So I would listen to podcasts, I would connect with other educators on Voxer, um, and really utilize that time to kind of learn and, and continue learning and find things that were relevant and meaningful uh, to, to my students. So I think it's, it's one of those things of always being on, always learning, and always being a, a continuous learner. Yeah, and for me, I was never big into podcasts until, I don't know, maybe a, a year, year and a half ago or so. Uh, Wired Educator being probably the one I listen to the most to, and then uh, Ditch That Textbook with Matt Miller. Uh, Kelly and Matt, both great guys, and they have completely different styles of podcasts. You know, for me, my drive to work is only 10 minutes, so Matt's is perfect. But then when I'm out mowing the yard, it takes me about an hour. So Kelly's is perfect. So there's there's always something available to you. You just have to be willing and open to, to go out and find it and listen to others. Yeah, it's funny. My, um, my new position, I am a much shorter commute, so about 20 minutes or so. And it's, it's hard now finding time to listen to podcasts. Um, so you know, I'm, I'm not certainly not going to complain about my shorter commute at this point, but, um, you know, whenever I can jumping on, whether I'm, I'm, I'm washing the dishes or, you know, hopping on the stationary bike, uh, while I'm watching TV at night and throwing a podcast on, it's, um, just taking every opportunity to continue that learning. Uh, one of my favorites, um, that I discovered last year and, and I cannot get enough of at this point, And, um, I wish more educators were listening is, Don Wetrick and Start Ed Up. And uh, it's an amazing podcast and uh, he's doing some amazing things with his students. And uh, I hope that all educators can learn something and, and kind of go in that direction of, of pushing students to the next level. All right. I'm searching for my pen to write that one down. <laughs> Where did it go? Oh, well, thanks for sharing that. I'm definitely going to add that one to the list as well. Um, so a lot of your your book is focused on, like we're talking about, of finding those opportunities and, and searching out to be a better educator yourself. But the other side of the book is also facilitating those uh, learning environments, professional development, when you're leading it for your staff or going out in sessions. And that was probably the biggest reason to me why I picked up a copy of your book and I have taken a ton away from that. Um, I've never been a big reader my entire life, but then I went and got my master's, had to do a lot of reading going towards that degree. And then uh, your book was one that I picked up and I read it within a couple days because I was that intrigued by, oh man, I totally think this could work. So I immediately, like I said earlier with my workshop sessions, I like to, uh, usually start with some sort of interactive get together because 
my summer workshops are usually people from a bunch of different schools. They don't know each other, but it's usually all Catholic educators, so we at least have that uh, bond. So that's a big takeaway for me. And then my favorite one out of everything has been this lunch and learn where get the teachers in by offering them food. And then you just do a short 10, 15 minute, nothing that's really going to take up a ton of their time and try to fill it with stuff that they could turn around and use the next day in class. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, there's a couple of tenants there that are important. You know, number one being, if you do feed educators, you have, you have a much more likely chance of getting them to walk through the door. Um, so, you know, I know, a lot of people have been tying different themes um, to their PD, you know, whether it's um, we talked about something in the book called um, Tech Mex Tuesday, you know, so we would bring out the quesadilla maker, we would bring chips and salsa. Uh, and again, sharing something relevant that teachers can use the next day. Um, I think that's another big tenet. Uh, a lot of times we see professional development that, um, you know, is, is one and done. Um, it's kind of something that's very big and, and not really manageable in terms of implementing within the classroom. And I think a lot of times what teachers are looking for are uh, sometimes simple instructional things that they can do, they can bring back to the classroom. So we just had a district-wide PD on Monday, and I shared a couple of sessions related to uh, engagement in the math classroom. And I just shared a ton of different strategies, instructional strategies, different things that teachers could do um, starting right back up with students the next day and implement those to really make uh, an instructional impact and a learning impact in the classroom. And I think oftentimes that's one of the things missing with a lot of PD is how is it relating to the learning outcomes in classrooms? And, you know, if it's, if it's really good PD, then it's, it's typically making a huge impact instructionally and on the learning. So, if learning outcomes are changing for students in the classroom, then it's meaningful PD. And if not, um, you know, sometimes it's 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 something that's less than stellar or uh, something that needs a little bit more work or even maybe even some follow up. Um, but I think it's important to to make sure that we are looking at those things. What can we give teachers that they can take back to their students immediately? So for me, a lot of the sessions that I lead are typically technology-based, and I feel like sometimes I have teachers that run into this fear of, oh, this is a great tool. I think it'll be awesome for my students, but what happens if it doesn't work? So do you have advice for teachers on, you know, getting, becoming risk takers and, and working over that fear of something new? Yeah, unfortunately, I think a lot of times it does depend on the administrator in the building, um, really kind of creating that that culture of risk taking, um, giving teachers the opportunities to try different things and um, giving them the leash that if something fails miserably the first time, that that's a learning experience. Right. And it, it doesn't have to be anything more than a learning experience. So, you know, the, the key part is that reflection piece. Uh, so it is something that you know, as an administrator, we talk a lot about reflection. Um, so especially during the evaluation process, uh, but also, you know, just in doing classroom walkthroughs on a regular basis, I try to get into classrooms and um, really just give meaningful feedback. So, hey, here's something that might work. Um, 
Have you considered this? Asking a question um, and really kind of creating a dialogue with teachers. Uh, so part of that is on the administrator in the building or the administrators that are working with those teachers to make sure that they know it's okay to take a risk and to try something. And even if it doesn't work out the first time, then, you know, there's always a second time, there's always a third time. And, um, you know, for a lot of those teachers, I think who might be afraid to use technology, I think the best resource that they have that they don't necessarily think of are students. And for the most part, if, you know, a teacher is going to try something out and they're afraid to click on a button or, you know, afraid that something's going to go wrong with the technology, uh, the students who are sitting in front of that teacher are not afraid of those things. Um, so they will click on every button until they figure it out. They're not afraid to take those risks to fail. And I think oftentimes we can rely on our students to kind of guide us in that direction of, you know, really trying things out with technology, figuring out if it's going to work for what we need it to do. Um, and if not, you know, students are usually a pretty good source of what other tools can we use to, to do what we're trying to accomplish. Oh, I love that. And I, I think that's definitely an overlooked resource in the room. Um, you know, sometimes I think teachers maybe, oh, this is my computer, so you shouldn't necessarily be touching it and have privacy concerns. So I can get that. But don't be afraid for a website to close out on you or something like that. Laugh at it and, and move on and just live with it and, and enjoy the time. And students love to help. That's another opportunity for us to show that, well, we're vulnerable, we're human too as educators, but also being able to show students that it's okay to ask for help and that you appreciate them helping is just showing them that they can do the same thing when they get older in their adult lives as well. Yeah. And I think getting our, our, you know, colleagues and, and other educators to sit alongside students as learners is an important step. And, um, you know, I know we talk a lot now about student centered, uh, instruction and, and what that looks like, uh, but it's really, you know, the, the teacher as learner along with the students and having them sit and, and work on things together and um, really tackle interesting problems and, um, you know, try to come up with solutions. And sometimes it involves um, failure. You know, sometimes it involves trying something and it doesn't work and, you know, figuring out why it didn't work, reflecting on that and getting back to it to, to figure out a different way to do it. So I think if we can get Teachers, you know, especially with technology, working alongside students, I think it is a very positive uh, step in the right direction. And along those lines, one of the things that keeps a word that I keep hearing over and over, I don't know if people are realize they're saying it or if they're being like genuinely meaning this, which I think they are. But instead of saying lessons, people are saying experiences. We need to create experiences for the students and you know, that's really hitting home with me now on do we want to keep calling it lesson planning or should we switch it and call it experience planning? Yeah, it's interesting. I just did a session with uh, staff last week um, on designing learning experiences. And I, I very specifically chose that language um, for that reason, you know, and, uh, you know, lesson plans are something that we do that have to be in a binder or have to be, you know, digital online somewhere for a compliance purpose. Um, but oftentimes the lesson plan itself has, does not have a lot to do with 
the learning experiences that are actually happening in the classroom. So um, I, I think it is a, um, a fair distinction in terms of thinking about lessons versus experiences. Uh, we have different learners who are now in our classrooms, and I think it's important to, to try to reach them in whatever way possible, to try to engage them in things that they're passionate about. Um, and as I said before, trying to get them to really tackle and solve relevant problems and um, you know things that are relevant to their world and um, things things that are real world. There are there are plenty of problems out there that need to be solved, um, and I think we need to get students involved in that. Yeah, and before we got before we started recording this, uh, I was telling you about how it's been great. The current environment at the school where I'm working at, our volleyball team is in the uh, state semifinals. They're actually going to be. Um, heading about two hours away tomorrow to play in the state semifinals. But when this episode airs, that game will be over. So that'll be a little weird for me. Um, but it's amazing to see how the school has come together, how the community has come together. And there's just this sense of pride. And I think that goes along with it too, that if you take your classroom and are able to identify problems in the school that the students can help solve, through creating these experiences and, and the like, that's another way to instill this school spirit, school pride in our students and build the community together as well. Yeah, I, I think any of those authentic learning opportunities, um, you know, where you're, you're figuring out how to do things together. Um, one of the things that I want to work on uh, with our fifth grade students this year is to design an out, outdoor learning space. Um, and I really want to involve our fifth grade students in in that opportunity to kind of find out, you know, what is it that students would seek in a, an outdoor learning space? Why why is it important to have you know someplace outdoors where we can learn, and uh, and to really have them kind of walk through that design process, um, you know, helping them along the way, uh, you know, knowing that they can't do that a hundred percent by themselves, but um, really having them take the lead on that. So I think any of those authentic learning opportunities are important for students and really set them up for, um, you know, the real world and, and being productive citizens and um, productive members of society. You know, there's there's no reason we have to wait until students graduate uh, from high school or from college to have them become productive members of society. We can have them doing that right now. And I, I think that's an, an important thing to kind of distinguish and, and make sure that everyone knows is, you know, these are kids who have great ideas and, um, you know, they're doing wonderful things outside of school. How do we get them to kind of bring that energy inside the school? That sounds like so much fun. I will be interested to, to watch that process and hear more from you on how, how that outdoor learning environment turns out. That, that I think is something I might be able to bring over to where I'm working as well. We have some areas that are just open grass that may not be used for anything. And that's well, unfortunately, winter's coming up, so that's never good. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a spring project for us as well. But, uh, you know, we may start our, our process in the in the winter of uh, talking about design and what it might look like. So, Oh, that's perfect. Well, Rich, I want to be mindful of your time. I'm very, very thankful for you uh, coming on today. Uh, but do you have any other final thoughts? And how can the audience get in touch with you? I just want to encourage all educators out there uh, to take charge of their own professional learning. Um, you know, oftentimes we we leave the responsibility of professional learning on a few individuals in a district. 
Um, and, you know, I've been in that situation. I've had to plan PD. Um, and, and unfortunately, you can never plan uh, what everyone needs, everyone wants, and uh, everyone gets. So I think if educators, all educators everywhere can take that on themselves and know that the professional learning is their responsibility, um, you know, I think we would certainly take education and move it in, uh, in a direction, you know, where we've never seen it go. So I want to leave with that note. I can be reached um, on Twitter at R-A-C-Z-Y-Z. And at fouroclockfaculty.com is the website, and all of our other links are there. Uh, and it's F-O-U-R o'clockfaculty.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on today. I appreciate your time, your energy and effort, and everything you do. And audience, like always, go out there and make it happen. Thank you for listening to the Magic Potion Podcast. This podcast was created using Anchor FM. Please subscribe and leave comments with your thoughts and ideas from the classroom. Until next time, get out there and make it happen.